Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Church, this morning we're going to look at some of those things that we can be thankful for, and the one thing that I am most thankful for is I am thankful for the gospel. So this morning, if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, turn to verse 13. Stand with me, the honor of the reading of God's word, and let's read a few verses here together and see what Paul has to say to us. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 13, it reads like this. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound through the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, they are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Father, this morning you have blessed our hearts immensely with the worship of you through our singing together, through the group that just sang, Father, through the fellowship we've had together. And now as we open your word, I ask that you speak by your word, through your spirit, and for your glory to our hearts. Let us, Father, realize the thing that we should be most thankful for, and that is your Son, Jesus Christ, and his death upon a cross, his burial, and his resurrection for us. And let that change the way we see the world around us. Father, this morning, make very little of me, very much of you, that you may be seen in all of your glory. And this we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We have so many things to be thankful for that we can think about this time of year, for God has just been so gracious to us, so gracious to us in all the, the things that he's given us. I think of a few things that I wrote down that I am, I'm just thankful of. I'm thankful for that God has given me. I'm thankful that I've got a home to be able to go to and rest and to sleep. I woke up this morning and it wasn't hadn't rained on me or the wind blown on me all night long, but it sure looked like it had outside. And I was so thankful to have a house to go to. I'm so glad that God's provided me with a job that I may be able to make money to supply the physical needs for myself and my family. I'm so glad that God gave me a beautiful wife. Oh, she's back in the nursery. I didn't have to put that part in, did I? No, just kidding. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that, that God has given me a beautiful wife, so much better than I deserve. And if you were around me very often, you would realize that God uh, allowed me to kick the football a lot further than I should have been able to whenever I married her. So that was that was much better than I deserved. I'm so glad that God has given me a family that brings me such delight and joy, even though at times there may be some pain and suffering in that. At, at the end of the day, it's uh, so joyful. I had my grandson all night last night, and for some reason he thought it was okay to beat on Papa's face starting about 3 o'clock in the morning, all the way until he finally got me up. But, but you know, even in that, there was, there was joy in that. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that God allows me to pastor a church that loves Jesus with all their heart. You know, there are a lot of pastors that can't stand in a pulpit and say that. There are a lot of pastors that can't stand up and say this church just absolutely loves Jesus with all their heart. And I'm so glad, just so thankful that God allows me to do that. I'm glad that God has given me a body 
that's healthy enough to enjoy the things that he's allowed me to accumulate and, and together in. Even though it sounds like this morning I don't feel too well because of the sinuses, trust me, I feel a lot better than someone who can't even get out of bed this morning. So I am so thankful even for that. I'm thankful for a life, a life that's lived without persecution. For as you look at the world around us today, even in our own country, there are a lot of folks that are persecuted, not only for their religion and their beliefs, but for their lifestyle, persecuted for uh, their, their beliefs and what a government should be. They're persecuted for a lot of reasons. You know, and I'm just thankful that I didn't wake up this morning and have to look around the corner to see if someone was waiting to persecute me because of, of the life that I live. I am so thankful for a country, a country where we can do just this, that we can come out in public to worship God in a country because we have that freedom. Today, there are many people that are in hiding doing what you're doing. In ones and twos. That are taking the Bible in bits and pieces and, and copying it and passing notes in the streets so that they can have pieces of the Bible because they aren't free to carry it in their hands or worship together like this. I'm just so thankful God gives us that. I'm so thankful this morning that God gives me friends. Gives me friends to be able to cry on their shoulders, to laugh with, to rejoice in things, to, to walk through uh, times of suffering with. I don't know how we would make it without our friends and especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. But you know, when I really think about God's blessing upon my life, all those things are superficial. They are really superficial at the end of the day. You heard me read that there's some things that are seen that are temporary and there's some things that are unseen that are eternal. I am so thankful for the e eternal in my life, the eternal in my life. I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ gave his only begotten son to die upon a cross for my sins, to pay the penalty of my sins. I'm glad that he found, I'm so thankful that he found a lamb that would redeem me from death and sin into life eternal in him forever for eternity. And as Paul starts off this passage in 2 Corinthians 4, you could see, you could just see him basking in the thankfulness of what Christ has done for him. And he's so thankful for this gospel that he gives us a viewpoint of the world around us that should change because we know who Jesus Christ is. The way we look at this world should be very different. Our perspectives about the world should be very different. Our thoughts about those who live in this world should be very different. What we do in this world should be very different if we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And I think there's a few things that Paul points out to us in this passage that just warmed my heart when I read it. The very first thing that I saw that he pointed out in the passage is that we are to be thankful for possession of the gospel. Have you ever thought about how thankful you should be to be able to possess the gospel in your life? In verse 13 and 14, Paul writes, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. What Paul just regurgitates there as he's writing is the gospel message in his heart. I find it interesting that he writes there, I believed and therefore I spoke. If you know your Bible well, and if you read anything back in Psalms, if you've been reading the Bible through with us this year, you'll recognize that passage. It comes out of Psalm 116. Psalm 116, I think it's verse number 10. It says that I believed and therefore I spoke. Well, that raises a question to me as Paul says that he believed. What is it that Paul believed? You know, the gospel message, the gospel message is not always presented the same way. 
The gospel message is not believed in the same way by all people. The gospel message today has become something of a fallacy, a heresy in some places. So what is it that Paul believes? See, in Romans, Paul goes over the entire doctrine of what the righteousness of, of Christ, the righteousness that can be found in Jesus Christ. He confronts the heresy that's going on in the Roman Empire at that time, and he confronts it with the truth of the gospel. And what is the truth that, that Paul stated in Romans that he so believed that he was willing to suffer persecution, even to the point of possible death, to share it with those who were persecuting him? What is it? That he so believed that he would put his life on the line daily. You know, he said he was beaten with 40 stripes minus one because 40 was the upper limit. They stopped at one point. Just say we gave him a little grace. He was shipwrecked two or three or four times. He was locked up in prison, chained to guards, all because of this gospel. What is it about the gospel that would cause a man who was at the top of the Pharisees, who was at the top of a religion, to give all that up? To be persecuted by the very ones he was trying to love on. What is this gospel message? See, Paul believed that all of us, all of us need Jesus Christ because we're sinners. If you know your Bible well, you know there's this thing called the Roman road in, in the uh, book of uh, Romans. In the book of Romans, it tells the gospel message. And the first step in that Roman road, if you know their, their Bible very well, or maybe this is the first time you've heard it, maybe you'll take it to heart this morning. But Romans 3.23 makes a very profound statement about each and every one of us. If you know your Bible, if you've heard the Bible, if you've heard the gospel message, you know this verse by heart. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've told you many times, what does that Greek word all mean? All. <laughs> all. It's everybody. There's nobody that gets a pass. I hate to shock you. Don't get up and exit in a hurry once I tell you this, but even your pastor in the pulpit has sinned and is in need of a Savior. You know Billy Graham? <laughs> He's a sinner in need of a Savior. You may know Billy Sunday. You may have heard that name. That's kind of how Billy Graham came along. He needs a Savior. Your mom, your dad, they need a Savior. Guess what? You also need a Savior. When he said all, he meant all. Why? Because we have all missed the mark of living up to what God has set as the standard. We all have sin in our life. We're born into a world that is just filled with sin and our bodies desire to participate in that sin. You see, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Understand, it's not the sin you do that makes you a sinner. You're born a sinner. You sin because that's how you're born. That's what your inclination is. That's what your body desires. And this world is filled with it to feel the pleasures of your body. So you sin because you are a sinner. We're born with the nature of sin because of what happened back in the garden. You remember the man, Adam, and this lady named Eve. They were told there was one thing they could not do in this beautiful garden. It was to eat of this one particular tree. They were given one rule. Do not eat of this tree. But what happened? Satan showed up. We call him the serpent, the snake. It's Satan. Satan shows up and he whispers in Eve's ear, Did God really say you couldn't do that? Oh, come on. That can't be the case. Adam stands there with his mouth closed. As Eve says, Well, sure, he said, we couldn't even look at it. The snake says, Huh, now I got her. 
Because God never said she couldn't look, just said she couldn't eat. She's already bit the apple and doesn't even know it. He continues to tempt her to the point that she not only takes of the fruit, she gives it to Adam. And again, Adam stands there with his mouth closed. He had been given the responsibility of leading his family. And part of leading his family was to instruct them in the ways of God. And at that point, there was only one thing they couldn't do. Yet he had stood there with his mouth closed. Because they partook, there was a sudden separation in them and God. They recognized the fact that they were naked. Before that, it had never been a problem. When God came down to visit them in the garden, he found them hiding, hiding, covered in leaves, trying to cover that nakedness. God said, there's not a thing that you can do to cover yourself. Give me those leaves. And he slayed an animal. He slayed an animal and spilled its blood, setting forth the pattern for our salvation is through the spilling of blood. For it is through the spilling of the blood that there is salvation, there is righteousness. He slayed an animal for that. He not only slayed the animal, but he took the hide of the animal and made a covering for man and woman, signifying that their salvation would not come through the things that they did, but through the thing that God did. And God covered them. That problem in the garden years ago still lives in our world today. Still lives in our life today. And Paul, to be honest, shout of a doubt that all of us desire sin. Apart from what God does through the slaying of His only begotten Son and the covering of our sinfulness in His righteousness, we will stay in sin and love it. He knew that we we're all sinners. But there was something else that, that Paul also believed as he wrote Romans. He, he talked about, he believed that sin in our lives would condemn us to a place called hell for all of eternity. There are so many today that want to preach the love of God and they don't want to preach the wrath or judgment of God. But let me be honest with you. Sin unaddressed in your life will send you to a place called hell for all of eternity. And do not think that you will be in a party with your other friends. Because part of being in hell is the fact that you are separated not only from a God who loves you, but from everything else that you may love. You will be in a place of gnashing of teeth and torment forever. Part of that torment is the isolation of being in hell. Don't think it's going to be a party. See, hell, if that's what you choose, will be an eternity of torment and suffering. How long is eternity? It's forever. It's a fire that never goes out. It's a pain that never eases off. After you've been there a thousand years wishing that it would go away, it would be as if you just stepped in. The pain and suffering of the place will not diminish as time goes on. Hell is a very real place. It's spoken about more in the Bible than heaven. Hell is is a real place. And Paul knew that unless you address the sin in your life, that was your destination. How do we know that? Because in Romans 6, Romans 6 to 23rd verse, it says this, For the wages of sin is death. And death is speaking of that eternity of death. But the gift, aren't you glad for the word but in Scripture? My favorite three-letter word, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul knew that to ignore the sin problem in our lives would 
cause us to have eternal damnation, eternal death in our life. There's no escaping the wrath to come apart from the grace, the gift of God shown to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. There is no way to get out of the penalty of your sin without the blood of Jesus Christ covering you. There is no way. See, God gave us His Son that we might have eternal life. How do we know that? Our favorite Bible verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The gift of God is His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, God is infinite in His mercy towards us, the sinner. And His grace to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul knew that we were all sinners. Paul knew that that sin would send us to a place called hell. But Paul also believed that God loved us when we were extremely unlovable. See, we like to look at ourselves and think there's something within us that would cause God to love us. The Bible paints a very different story. Back one chapter, back one chapter in uh, chapter five of Romans, verse number eight, it says this. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, there was not a thing in your life that caused Christ to crawl upon a cross except for sin. He didn't look around and say, wow, Kay sure looks like she's worth it, or John sure looks like he's worth it. He didn't look around and say, Neil looks like he's worth it. No, he looked around and he said, look, none of them are worth it. They're all filled with sin. They're all headed to a place called hell. And Father, you need a lamb. Here I am, send me. See, if it wasn't for God demonstrating his love towards us while we were yet sinners, we would still be headed to a place called hell. See, the difference in a work salvation, which means you try to earn your favor of God. You try to earn your way into God's presence. The difference between a, a, the salvation of works and the salvation of belief, like it talks about in the Bible, is that Christ died for your sins while you were still a sinner. Work salvation says you work your way out of sin and then God will accept you. The Bible says Christ did it while you were still headed to hell. See, there's nothing you can do to gain the favor of God. There is nothing you can do to be deserving of Christ's death on a cross for your sin. There is nothing you can do to earn the righteousness of Christ. God gave His Son to die for us because He loved us. So not only did Paul believe that all of us needed a Savior, that we were all without someone stepping in and fixing the sin problem. We're headed to a place called hell. Not only did he believe that happened while you were yet a sinner, not because of who you were, but because of God's love. But Paul also believed that with belief in Christ comes a certain confession in your life. Your life should look different if you've met this Jesus. Your life should look different. And guess how Paul says it starts? Also in Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 11. He says this. If you believe that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, there is an answer. His name is Jesus. If you believe your destiny in that sin is a place called hell and you don't desire to go there, there is an answer. His name is Jesus. If you believe that you are not worthy, yet God loved you anyway, he showed you that love through a man named Jesus. And he says, if you believe in your heart that this God-man Jesus came to die for your sins, that you will not spend eternity in a place called hell, if you believe that in your heart and you confess with your mouth that he is your Lord, that you will be saved. See, the confession of your mouth should also come with the change in your life. To confess him as Lord means he now has your life as a blank check before him to do with that which he desires. For he gave his life as a blank check for you, for your sin. You see, believe in your heart that Christ has died for your sins leads you to confess that belief, not only with your mouth, but with your life. See, the problem in America today is that the gospel message has been so watered down that the majority of adults in America confess to be Christians. I looked it up. The 2014 Pew Research, the last one that I could find, and Pew does these research polls. You may get phone calls or mailings from them. They did this research across all of America. And they asked the question, how many of you identify yourself as a Christian? 71% of America said that Jesus Christ was their Lord because that is what it means to be a Christian. They identified as a Christian. That means this. Three out of every four people you know are Christians. And they don't have to tell you. You can see it in their life because to confess he is Lord must show up in your life. So three out of every four people you know. Three out of every four people you bump into. The guy ahead of you in the grocery store line. The lady waited on you at the checkout. The person at the fast food place. Three out of every four of those are Christians. That means that three out of every four of your co-workers, your friends, your neighbors, your family members have Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Let me ask you a question. Is that the reality you live in? Is three out of every four people you know living a Christ-like life? <laughs> then there's a problem with the message of the gospel. It's not the gospel message. It's the gospel delivery. <laughs> Let me tell you about a country that I fell in love with recently. You'll see the point of the story as I get towards the end of my message today. It's a place that I heard about recently. Was God was gracious enough to, to bring an a opportunity into my life, and it was with this country called Haiti. This country called Haiti. If you know anything about the islands, you know it splits an island down there. It's, it's part of one island. It has 1.8 million people living on this one half of an island. They live in absolute object poverty. The average income for the individuals that live on this island is $2 a day. Next time you get the supersized fry at McDonald's, you think about that. <laughs> the next time you say, bump that to a large, please. $2 a day they live off of. Most of the country's either been affected by natural disasters or a government that just uh, suppresses them to the point that uh, the country is, is desolate. It's horrible living conditions. Yet, as I looked at the research in our country, I decided let's look at the research in Haiti as well. They are, when it comes to religion, 
poll that was done there shows 70% of the population of Haiti identifies themselves as Catholic. 10% of the population of Haiti identifies themselves as Protestant. Hopefully you know the difference in that you are Protestant because of the Reformation. In other words, we believe and it's in Christ alone, in Scripture alone, in God alone, through His work alone that we are saved. So 70% are Catholic, 10% are Protestant. Yet there was another interesting number. 95% of the population of Haiti is voodoo. Somehow the math doesn't work now, does it? (laughs) 80 are Catholic, 10 are Protestant, like you guys, yet 95% are voodoo. 95% of voodoo. I got to thinking about it. That's the exact same gospel we preach in America. The exact same one. You got a good life, but you got a couple of things wrong. Just take that part of Jesus. That's all you need. You don't have to turn your whole life over to him. You've got things going on that you're good at. Just pick him up in the areas that you need. Go down the buffet line and say, I'll take one of these, but I'm not really into that whole you're in control thing. I'll, I'll just take this, oh, I need you when, there, when there's sickness in my life. Now I'm going to bypass that giving at church because I really need my money for other things. But now I'm, I'm going to pick up this, you, you know, I, I kind of just need somebody just kind of love on me right now. I'm just going to take these few things. It's the exact same religion we preach in America. You want to know why 70% of people identify as Christian, but I would say way less than that, maybe in the 20s range, live as Christians? It's because that's the gospel message they believe, that you can only take the pieces that you desire that fits your life in that particular day. You can leave the rest of the things on the shelf. Let me break it to you, church. It's all of Jesus or none of Jesus. He's either Lord of your life or someone else is. There is no splitting the duties. And when I think about this country, when I think about their, their abject poverty, when I think about the things that are going on in their world, and I think about this voodoo worship, to me it's easy to connect to dots of why. Yet to them it's, it's not very easy. It's a religion that's been indwelled in them for years and years and years. It's no different than us. We do things every day in our churches that we have no idea why we do it. We have no idea what the glory to God is in it, but we do it because we've always done it. That's worshiping someone other than God. That's worshiping the church. You see, and Paul tells us that we should be thankful, yes, that we have religion in our life, we have an organization, but it's not religion here that Paul's the most thankful for. You see, what Paul is thankful for when he writes this passage in 2 Corinthians when he says, I believe and I've spoken. He says that I am thankful that he who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead is coming back to raise me with him. See, because he understood that this Savior that had died upon a cross didn't stay on the cross. He was buried in a tomb. And three days later, that tomb was found to be empty. And by the power of an almighty God, Jesus Christ was walking the earth again. He was seen by many. He was touched by a few. Yet he touched everyone. And see, at the end of the day, what voodoo doesn't have, what the other religions of the world do not have, is they do not have a living Savior. And guess what you have? You have a living Savior that's gone back to prepare a place for you. And the Bible says one day he's coming to get you again. And what Paul was so enthralled with was the fact that the Savior would die for him. But then that this Savior would come back and get him. 
And when he thought about this gospel message, he was just overwhelmed that he could possess this gospel message. Yet the second thing that we're to be thankful for is the proclamation of the message. See, it's not good enough just to, just to possess it. And in verse 15, he says, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. We should be thankful that by the grace of God, the gospel has spread. What started with 12 spread to many, including Paul, and through the many made its way to us. Have you ever thought about this? Just Have you ever thought about the story of Paul? Have you ever thought about how the gospel got to your life? Think about it. Here's Paul persecuting the church. He stands with the robe of one of the proclaimers of the gospel. When his name was Saul, he stood with the outer garment of one of the proclaimers of the gospel, laying at his feet as he watched him be stoned to death. The proclaimer of the gospel's name was Stephen. The Bible says just a chapter after it tells you about the stoning of Stephen, it says that the believers were scattered all over the world for fear. Guess what went with them? The gospel. It went to the point that a church was built in Antioch. A church in Antioch. Do you dare guess who became the missionary sent out of Antioch? Paul. Paul was Saul when Stephen was stoned. The gospel spread. His name was changed to Paul because he came to know Jesus. The church at Antioch sent Paul out with the gospel message to plant churches all over the world. Do you want to know how you got the gospel? Because Stephen gave his life for the gospel. And Paul's life was changed by the gospel. God was in complete control to set up a church that would one day send out the persecutor of the church so the gospel may spread to the uttermost ends of the world. And you're a witness of that. See, this message needs to be proclaimed. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The way we have faith in Jesus Christ is we hear this Word of God. It's the Word of God that reveals to us our sin problem. It's the Word of God that shows the solution to our word problem, our sin problem. It's the, the Word of God that introduces us to the way, the truth, and the life. And His name is Jesus. It all comes through the Word that John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word is Jesus Christ. You see, how are we to change the hearts of the world to fall in love with our Savior? How can we get others to know this Jesus and fall in love with our Savior? It's through the spreading of the gospel message that we are so thankful for. By seeing the humanity around us, not as broken people, but as broken souls in need of a Savior. By being so consumed in the gospel that was given, as he said, for our sakes in that 15th verse, that we have to proclaim it. Be so consumed that we have to proclaim it. We're to do as Jesus says in Mark 8, 34. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We must be willing to answer the call of Christ and follow Him. How do we follow Him? First and foremost, by denying ourselves, realizing that we are nothing without Christ. Second, to take up our cross. When we hear the word cross, we think about a jewelry hanging around our neck or something on the wall like that. But the first century church did not think of the cross in that manner. They thought of the cross as an instrument of death. We are not only to deny ourselves, but we are to die to self. 
we are to be completely turned over to Jesus Christ. And we are to follow him. The question being, where is Jesus going? Where is Jesus going? I think Jesus makes it pretty plain. The Bible does. In Luke 19.10, when it says this, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save the lost. See, if you're going to follow Jesus, where are you going to follow him? Right to the heart of the sinner that lives next door. Right to the heart of the sinner that lives across town, across state, across the country, across the world. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow him too the sinner, that the sinner may come to know him as their Savior. We are to do this, he says at the end of verse 15, for the abounding glory of God. See, it is so that it may cause thanksgiving to abound for the glory of God. The proclamation of the gospel brings glory to God. And we are to be about our Father's business of proclaiming the gospel to the lost. And how are we to do the business of our Father in proclaiming the gospel? And that's the third thing that Paul was thankful for very quickly. The third thing that we are to be thankful for is we are to be thankful for the partnerships we have in the gospel. See, each of us sit next to a partner in the gospel. You come into this church with a body that is partnered for the spreading of the gospel. And we must realize that our time on earth is very short. For he says this in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. We've got to realize these physical bodies that we live in are being used up, yet the inward part, the soul of our body, is being renewed and made stronger day by day by the Word of God, by the fellowship with other believers, by God working in and through us, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're being renewed to be more like Christ, to be sanctified and working our way towards glorification that daily comes back to take us home. See, we have to realize that we are daily growing to be more like Christ Yet our time on earth is shortening with every breath. The thought of our inward renewal and the shortening of our time on this earth should cause us to have an urgency in sharing the gospel with those around us who are headed to a place called hell. If we don't have that desire, I would dare say we don't know Jesus Christ. Because Jesus proclaimed the gospel all the way, the blood pouring from his body, hanging up on a tree. Until his very last physical breath on earth, he was proclaiming the gospel. See, he says in verse 18, actually in verse 17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What we suffer through, what we miss out on, those things that we think we don't get because we're Christians or that persecution or suffering we may have on us because we're Christians and we live this particular life that is for the good of others, not for the good of ourselves. That ridicule and persecution, it says that it's a light affliction. When you think about the weight in glory, the weight of what God is going to pour upon you in Glory, the small weight of the Christian life is nothing, nothing compared to what awaits us in heaven. Nothing. 
He goes on then in verse 18 to say, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul reminds us to look at the Christian life through God's eyes, not through the world's eyes. We need a biblical worldview of what's going on around us, not a worldly view of the Bible. We need to reverse that trend. We need to look at this world through the lens of the Bible, not the Bible through the lens of the world. And the world says, live life, live it to the fullest, for you're not going to be here very long. That's what the world says. But what God says, God says, live for me, (laughs) because it's going to last for eternity. See, the world says, do what makes you feel good. You only go around once. (laughs) Yet God says, humble yourself. (laughs) Put others first. To be first, you must be last. He says, because eternity hangs in the balance. See, how would God have us look at the world very quickly in closing? Matthew 9, 36. I'm going to rattle these off. You might want to write them down. Matthew 9, 36 says this. But when he, the he there being Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. In Mark 1, 41, he says, And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will. Be thou clean. That was when he was asked, are you willing? He said, yes. In Luke 15, 20, actually the latter part of Luke there, but especially in 15, 20, we see the story of what we've gone uh, to call the prodigal son. But look at the message, the message of a father and a son who has gone astray. In Luke 15, 20, it says, and he, the father, arose. And this is a picture of God. And it says, uh, it, it actually says that he arose, the son arose. And it says he came to the father. That's a picture of God. And it says, but when he was yet a great way off, the son was a great way off. Since his father saw him, that tells us that God's been looking. His father was looking for him down the road. It says he saw him. And he says he has compassion on him. And it says the father ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. You know the story. The son had a rehearsed an entire oratory statement he was going to make, apologizing for all that he had done. And his father cut him off and said, you're my son. Someone go get him the proper clothing, get him a ring, get some shoes for his feet, crank up the fireplace. We're going to have a party. Why? Because one I loved that I've been looking for has come home. The Bible tells us that God looked at us with the greatest of compassion. Instead of the wrath that we deserve for our sin. When he looked down from the cross through eternity at you, living a life of sin, desiring that, he had compassion on you. And that compassion came out of the love that poured from his body in the blood that covered your sins. And he calls us to look at others the exact same way. See, church, we're to be a model of Christ in the world. We're to look at the world that we are in with great compassion. He tells us what that compassion for others should look like in our lives at the very end of Matthew 28. He gives what we've come to call the Great Commission. He says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on this earth. And he makes this statement to his followers. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. He makes this promise. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus commanded his disciples to go, not sit. He commanded them to go, not put together programs. He commanded them to go, not pay for someone else to go. He said, go. Oddly enough, he didn't say, go save them. He said, go make disciples. World of difference. We had this discussion in our deacons meeting the other night. What's wrong with our world today? What's wrong with our church today? We lead you to the foot of the cross. We show you Jesus as your Savior. Once you're saved, we sit you on the front pew. We go get someone else and say, good luck. (laughs) See, the difference is with discipleship, you walk the road. You show them. You grow with them through it. Part of that is sharing the gospel, yes, but the other part is walking with them through their Christian life until they're mature enough to make disciples of someone else themselves. See, it's partnering with them through the, to the growing of the kingdom, both in their own life and in the world that they live in. You know, and I'm so thankful for the possession of the gospel. For it's the possession of the gospel that guarantees me eternal life with Jesus Christ in a place called heaven forever. I am so thankful for the proclamation of the gospel. Without the proclaiming of the gospel to the ends of the earth, I would not know who Jesus Christ is. And I am so glad there are those who would proclaim the gospel. I'm so thankful for the partnering for the gospel that's going on both in this building, this community, in this state and country, but even to the uttermost parts of the world. I'm so thankful that God's still in the sending business. I'm still thankful that God has not stopped sending us out to share the gospel. I know I'm over, but I want to share a story with you because I want to let you know about an opportunity that you have to join with us as we go about sharing that gospel to the other most ends of the world. God's opened the door to give us an opportunity to do something. A few of us in the church in support of that are in sharing the gospel in that country that I fell so in love with, the country of Haiti. There is a group, uh, actually a man and a wife, Rick and Becky Graves, who live in Wilmington, North Carolina, that their heart has been for the mission in Haiti for a number of years. Their heart's so moved by that country that they have purchased a children's home that has 13 uh, boys and girls in it, averaging age probably in in uh, early teens at best, down in a 9 or 10-year-old range, have them from uh, teenage years down to 5 or 6 years old. The average school age of those kids now that they've been in the home for about uh, three years is they've made it all the way up to third grade, even the teenagers now, because they don't get to go to school. They've been a part of the orphanage program in Haiti for a number of years, those children, and have been very abused, both physically and emotionally. And now they fall under the care of this Christian couple that desires to build the church in Haiti to the point that people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We've been given the opportunity to come alongside them, go down and work with those children and teaching them who Jesus Christ is, how to grow as a disciple in Jesus Christ. But more importantly, we've got access to the staff and teaching the staff how to grow the church in Haiti. Because let's face it, I can't be there every Sunday to preach. You can't be there every Sunday to lead the singing. You can't be there every Sunday with them. But God's opened the door for us to help grow that church and come alongside them. Doing what we so freely do and sometimes with absolutely no thought to the process, which is do church together every week. It gives them the opportunity to know what a church is. As a matter of fact, uh, Becky's got the opportunity for me to go to a prison of 21-year-olds and under with 150 young men in it and preach the gospel. The The warden's allowing us to go into that prison and preach the gospel. 
is getting us an opportunity to go into some other orphanages that are not Christian orphanages and do Bible school with them. We'll do a Bible school every afternoon in the community to run about 50 kids. We're going to have the opportunity to take the 13 kids and the staff on a trip of a lifetime to the beach, a place in their country that's so beautiful they've never seen. We're going to pay to take them down there. We're going to have an opportunity to go over to the seminary that's there and speak at the seminary. And uh, what an awesome opportunity it's going to be. There's there's nine of us that are going. Uh, Jen, Olivia, and Alexandria, Augie are going to go. Uh, Megan and Sophie are, are going to go with us down there. Lexi Robbins is going to go. Ken Smith from Axon Baptist is going. And Wendy and myself are going to go. We're going to leave in March to go down there uh, to do that. Church, it's an opportunity of a lifetime to share the gospel to a country that so desperately needs it. So desperately needs it, but not just in the form of the gospel. They need it in the form of knowing there are other believers that believe in them. So we're going to ask you to come alongside of us. Yes, we'll probably need some financial help at some point in time, but more importantly, we'll need your help in taking things. Letters to the kids, letting them know that you love them and that you're praying for them. Some supplies for them, because like I say, they live $2 a day to be able to take some things to them, be able to take some things to the prison. There'll be a lot of things you hear about in the days ahead that you'll be able to help us with, that we desire for you to be a part of, because we want to show them that there's a church somewhere in the world that so desperately loves them and the gospel that we're willing to give out of what God has blessed us with for the raising up of the gospel message in a country called Haiti, that 95% of the people believe in voodoo worship. As you leave today, the team members are going to have in their hands pictures of those 13 kids. I want you to take one of those. If you're willing to take that home and earnestly pray for that kid, you take it. You take it with you and pray for them. Because there's one thing I know. God answers the prayer of his faithful people. On that card, it'll give their age, their name, their desires, their loves. Pray for those. If you're so moved, we're leaving in March. I would hope that you would write a note to them that we could take. That we could take to show them that there is someone somewhere that loves them. I would hope that you would support the team members and the things, the activities that are coming up as we go about building that process. Pray for the team. It's not, uh, it's not the best of places to spend a few days, but it is the best of opportunities to spend a few days. How does that relate to our message here? Will you accept God's call on your life? It may not be, and most likely it's not, to get on an airplane with a crazy pastor that just loves God enough to go wherever he would ask him to go and head to a third world country called Haiti. That may not be God's call on your life. I realize that. But what is God's call? God's call is to share the gospel that you possess. Proclaim it to the uttermost ends of the world, which may be your next door neighbor. <laughs> and to partner up with that person and walk in the gospel message until they are a mature Christian and can do the same. Will you let your life this morning be a blank check before God and let him write in what it is he desires to use your life for? And will you fall on your face and say, God, no matter what you ask, here am I. Send me. Church, that's my challenge to you on this Thanksgiving week. Are you thankful enough for the gospel that you're willing to let that gospel be lived out in you and through you? Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. 
Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.